This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick for today and tomorrow. Jeff is uh, taking a couple days. Deservedly so. Because he doesn't have to deal with me for the next two days. Lucky guy. But you know who has to deal with me now? Eric Francis from Sportsnet joining me on the line. Eric, how are you today, buddy? It's an honor to deal with you, Mr. Matt. How are you? I'll send the check in the mail. Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, firstly, I wanted to ask you, I'm, I I feel like you did, but did you get a chance to see the, the Kachuk and Heischer stuff last night? Yeah, and I heard you and Elliot discussing it earlier, and I, I was going to, I'm glad you asked, because, you know, having dealt with Matthew for the last six, seven years, uh, I can tell you that the one thing he learned from his father above all else, and, and I would submit to you that his hockey IQ is as high as anyone in the National Hockey League. I really believe that. In terms of awareness on and off the ice, uh, how to navigate life in a, in a dressing room, how to navigate life on the on the ice in a game, um, it's right up there. And his father taught him, and he repeats it all the time, is the, the most important thing is to be a good teammate. And in his mind, like he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him, obviously. He just cares about being a good teammate. And to him, standing up and, and throwing a little payback after what happened to Barkov is, is about being a good teammate. So that, that's how I read that. Uh, I, I heard you guys talk about it. It looks a little sore loserish. Uh, that is not relevant in, in his eyes. He's not worried about perception. He worries about that room. And I think in that room, he believes it was important to send yet another message that what you did to our most important player is unacceptable and you will continue to pay a price. I wouldn't be surprised if this is an ongoing theme for years. Remember what Matthew Kachuk used to do to Drew Doughty? Mm-hmm. Just, he just, it, you know, he targeted him. He went out of his way to start that feud and, and then just kept hammering it home. And he did the same with Zach Cassian. And he's found his guys over the years that he picks his spots with and decides, I'm going to make this guy's life a misery every time we play him. And it also helps elevate both of their uh, reputation. Or I guess not their reputation, but people around the league start hearing about this and seeing this is an ongoing thing. And guess what? It's good for the game. It sells tickets. The next time Jersey and Florida play, everybody's going to want to watch to see what Kachuk will or will not do. Doesn't mean he's going to do it, but that threat is always there, and that's what Matthew loves. He's always loved living rent-free in the minds of John Cassian uh, and Drew Doughty and now Nico Heischer. And uh, listen, I, I said I love Matthew Kachuk. I, I, I wish that Matthew Kachuk was on any team that I played with or for. And and I guess my point, like, I I appreciate that Matthew Kachuk doesn't care what anybody else thinks of him. I really, I really do. But I, I see both sides of it. I can see why, you know, Devils fans are certainly upset. I can see why uh, Flames fans were, or Panthers fans were upset at what happened with Barkov. I don't think it was done on purpose, but I also get why uh, the Panthers did what they did in that game. And then I get why Matthew Kachuk did it. I just didn't like the the timing of it, but I mean, we we can we can move on to to brighter things. And last night's third period by Jacob Markstrom was certainly near or at the top of the list. Did that give you a sense? And even even in previous games this month, did it give you the sense that he's he's starting to come out of this little funk here? Yeah, that that and that was a couple nights ago they last played. Yeah, and 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 that that is becoming a very old narrative. Like that that was uh, 
you know, seven, eight games ago when he came out, and I think he made some headlines probably, out, you know, across the league people saw when he said, I suck at, I suck at hockey right now. I mean, that's, those are pretty strong words from an NHL player who finished second in the Vezda Trophy voting last year. And it, it, it stemmed from a gap he made against the, the Montreal Canadiens where he came out like 15 seconds into a game and made a gap and, and ended up losing the game by one because of it. And uh, since then, you know, if I were to put up a graphic on our TV broadcast tonight, uh, what his numbers are in the last seven games, seven starts, I think he's, his numbers are stellar. Like they're, you know, 2.1 goals against average, 9.30 save percentage, something like that. So he's really rebounded from that. And uh, and, and the last two games, you know, even though uh, what he allowed three games the other night and two the night before, that's he was still fantastic in the third period. You're right. It was a tie game. The game they won 7-3 the other night, it was a tie game with 10 minutes to go in the game. He made some huge saves to keep it a tie game, setting the stage for the Flames to win the game. So, at the end of the day, Matt, you know, the Calgary Flames got, went into the season, I think a lot of people thought they were going to win most of their games 2-1 and, and, and things like that because of their strong goaltending, because of their strong blue line. Well, their blue line's been all over the place this year. Their goaltending has been up and down. It's been a radically different year than I think anybody thought when they looked at the Calgary Flames, and it starts with goals against. And, and you know what? I, I Just as maybe a bigger picture thing here but it does Markstrom's struggles like at the beginning of the year does kind of speak to just the volatility of the goaltending position like look at the look at the the run that Igor Shosturkin had where he felt like he couldn't make a save and 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 Thatcher Demko was, was fighting it in in Vancouver before he got hurt not saying that Jacob Markstrom isn't elite because I still think that he is an elite goaltender who just went through a rough patch and, and the same can be said for both Shesterkin and Demko, but it's more of a conversation about this is why teams, generally speaking now, have gone to tandems because you can't rely on a guy to be elite every year because it's a really hard position to play. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and I, the irony was not lost uh, that the day before uh, Markstrom came out and said he sucked at hockey, uh, Shesterkin had almost identical uh, comments in the New York media, just basically saying, I have no confidence I feel like I can't even play the position right now. I've embarrassed myself. Like, things like that. And you're like, wow. The number two and number one goalie last year in the NHL both had this crisis of confidence at the same time. And it is an illustration of the fact that, obviously, there are ebbs and flows in every, in every season for every player. But when it happens to your goalie, it's magnified. And I agree with you. The way to go in the NHL, if you can afford it, is to have a tandem that's working for you. I think it's easier said than done. And I know in Calgary that it was crucial for this team to stay in the playoff hunt. Uh, when Markstrom was really struggling, they gave uh, Dan Vladar, who's been a real revelation here the last two seasons, they gave him, uh, I think, four out of five starts and kind of rested Markstrom. That's a huge luxury to have when, you're, when, you, when you've got a $6 million goalie that your backup can allow you to do that. So that was crucial because Vladar was stellar, allowed them to win a bunch of games that they might not have otherwise have won if they didn't have a solid backup. Eric Francis from Sports Then joining Matt Marchese on the Jeff Merrick Show here. So Dylan Dubé, former second-round pick, and and he's been really, really good lately. He's been putting up points. He's been really solid offensively. Is it just a, a case of putting this guy in a position where he can be more offensive and, and that's just moving him up in the lineup, or is there something else here? Yeah, yeah I think I think it's, you know, he, I think in his last four games, he's, he's been on the top line. He switched spots with Jonathan Huberdeau. So Huberto got bumped down to the second line, 
And Dubé went up to the first line, based a little bit on merit, but largely because they're trying to figure out a way to get Huberdo uh, going this year. It's just not worked up to this point. But, yeah, Dubé on that top line with Lindholm and Toffoli, they've been on fire the last three or four games since they've been together. And, yeah, you watch a, a Flames game, and Dylan Dubé is probably the fastest Calgary Flame that they have and, uh, and can really add a ton of energy. And you always look at him and watch him, and you say, God, if he just got the right opportunity and, 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 and things start to click early, maybe he would have that ability to have confidence and, and start really putting up some points. And last year, the big breakthrough in Calgary was, was obviously Andrew Majapani. He went from being an 18-goal scorer to a 35-goal scorer last year. Well, last year, Dylan Dubé had 18 goals. And now he's on the first line. And I, you just start to wonder, I'm not suggesting he's going to go out and get 35 this year because I think he only has seven so far. But he's starting to feel it. And, and, and if they keep him on that first line for any sustained amount of time, you, you wonder, I, I don't think 25 goals is out of the question for this guy because he does have the skill and the speed. And, and he's got it all, really. He's got a, quite a toolkit. I'll, I want to get to Andrew Mangiapane in a sec here, but I, w- I did want to focus a little bit on Jonathan Huberto because you mentioned him there and trying to figure out where exactly he fits. And statistically, statistically, this is his best month as a flame. He's got 10 points in 11 games. He only has the one goal, but whatever. Jonathan Huberto is a playmaker. We know that. He seems to be more comfortable, but do we, does it not still feel like we're a ways away from seeing the real Jonathan Huberto as a flame here? Oh, you nailed it. I, 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 you know, I've had this conversation. He's the number one talking point in Calgary, has been all year, because you bring him in, and basically, uh, obviously, with the money they're going to pay him starting next year and, and, and what happened over the summer here, like, he's your, next, he's your face of your franchise. He's your, guy, your go-to guy, your most expensive player, and a guy who's going to be here for nine years when it's all said and done. And nobody has seen prominent signs of the player that, got 115 points last year in Florida. And the easy way to answer that to me is that, you know, he played on a glorified shinny team in Florida. And I don't, that sounds derogatory, but they they play a very wide open style of play uh, in Florida and also in the East Conference compared to the West. And then you take him another level and you put him in a Daryl Sutter structure where there are rules and there are lanes and there are, you know, you stay on the right side of the puck and defense is, is, is very important. And, and, and it's been very hard for him to work under those parameters. And I'm not blaming the coach, and I'm not blaming the player. There's been a lot of his, – his life changed dramatically this summer and not, but, you know, not by request. So he's kind of comp, you know, taking all that into account and trying to find his way. He had three points in the third period the other night. Maybe that was the turning point for him. Uh, he's been better of late, but I still don't – there's no way that he has that dynamic style that Johnny Gaudreau had where he can turn a game on a dime. Uh, people are really scratching their heads going, man, when are we going to start seeing a 115-point player? And I'm not sure we ever will see, you know, a 115-point player, you know, from Jonathan Huberdeau here in Calgary. Um, but, but, but 90 would make people happy, and, and, and I guess that's possible. He's got 22 points so far in 30 games. Now, on, on that, uh, I'm glad you brought up the, the part about Sutter and the structure because I'm kind of of two minds. Like, uh, I'm not going to tell Daryl Sutter how to coach because he's won a Stanley Cup, and I'm never going to win a Stanley Cup as a coach. I can promise you that that's not going to happen. But is there something to be said about playing with the players that you have instead of trying to play with the ones that you don't, and especially with a guy like Jonathan Huberdeau? Like, maybe he should be given a little bit more leash? Yeah, it, it's a great debate, but well, I'll say this. When... when 
Sutter came back here, what, two and a half seasons ago, we all wondered in Calgary, like, how is Johnny Gaudreau going to survive under Daryl Sutter? Like, this is a guy who is the first out of the zone every time. Defense is, I mean, he's just not a defensive player. And, uh, he, you know, he's an offensive player. And I've always said, guys like Brett Hall should never. I used to joke, Brett Hall doesn't need to come back past center. When he scores 70 goals a year, you shouldn't have to come back past center. Make sure you've got a, a center like Adam Oates or some great playmaker and get the puck to, to Hull in the offensive zone. Let him do his work there. He doesn't need to do work in his own zone. And, and that's the kind of thing. That's how I've operated as a beer league player, too. <laughs> without, the, without the finish, of course, that Brett Hall has. But, but the point is, he turned Johnny Gaudreau into a 200-foot player. Johnny Gaudreau was like plus 64 last year. Johnny Gaudreau's 200-foot game last year was incredible. Johnny Gaudreau was one of the best players in the NHL last year. I think he finished fourth in, in, the, in the heart voting. You know, so just when you think that, you know, a square peg can't fit into a round hole, Daryl Sutter shows you that he can help you. And I don't, you know, you look into some of the metrics, and Huberdeau defensively this year has been fantastic. Whatever line he's been on has been scored against very little. And so he is teaching him how to be a better 200-foot player. And now we just need him to start getting a little more confident back on the offensive side. Uh, we got a couple minutes left here. So speaking of confidence, Andrew Mangiapane, you mentioned, scored 35 last year. He only has seven goals in 33 games so far. Does this feel just like a, a guy who's maybe lost a bit of confidence? Or is this a situation where he's just flat out not shooting the puck enough? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's not shooting enough. He's been moved all around the lineup, but he's, he's always done that. You know, he scored 35 goals last year without playing a single minute on the top line or a single minute on the top power play. As a matter of fact, he didn't even play on the power play uh, until early in the season last year. So he's been adept at scoring goals even on the second and third line, and he's on the third line right now. Um, you know, his, his goals are, are around the net. You know, rebounds, uh, I don't want to call them garbage goals because they all count. But, you know, that's, that's where he's at. he gets into the dirty areas. And I, he's just not getting those bounces and, and bouncing on those rebounds. I, I don't really know how to explain it. He, to me, the effort's there and the same skills there, but maybe just all the movement with the different line mates, maybe that's hurting him this year. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I didn't think he was going to score 40 this year, but I thought 30 was very well within his range again, especially because he was going to move up in the lineup. But I guess some guys just fit a certain role and they thrive on it, and maybe he's just one of those guys. Well, and you think about, you know, so this year they added Nazem Kadri, who most people will tell you is probably the second best, or, you know, one of the best second-line centers in the National Hockey League. He'd be a first-liner on some teams. Um, and you thought, wow, with Mangiapane playing with, with a great player like Kadri, uh, boy, they'll make magic together. But it just hasn't happened. And, uh, you know, they, but the, 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 a lot of things haven't happened in Calgary so far this year. I mean, they're outside of a playoff spot right now. Not many people expected that. The big debate coming into the year, Matt, was are they actually better than last year? Yeah. Just, just, despite what happened in the summer. Well, obviously, we know the answer to that. They're not better. They're not even close to being as good as they were last year. And a large part of that is because not only do they not have the best line in hockey like they did last year, and that best line could win games all by itself for probably 30 nights a year, they don't even have a top line right now. Like, you could argue all day long, which is the top line right now? Is it Kadri's line? Is it Lindholm's line? Neither one of them are performing like a top line. Now, the last couple of games, sure, scored a lot of goals because they played against San Jose back-to-back. That'll do it. But other than that, they're not, you know, they're not scoring in bunches, and uh, 
So it continues to be a work in progress here in Calgary at both ends of the ice. Yeah, it does. I, I'm not going to lie. I was one of those people that thought that they were better. And, and shame on me for thinking such a thing. Uh, Eric, we're, we're fresh out of time here. But thanks, as always, for, for taking a couple minutes for me. Enjoy the holidays and uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you and yours. Great shine with you, my man. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you in the new year. There he goes. Eric Francis from Sportsnet as the Calgary Flames. Two in a row against, yes, the San Jose Sharks. But still got to win the games that, that are in front of you. And, and that was a really impressive third period from not only Jacob Markstrom, who looks like he's slowly getting out of that funk, but Jonathan Huberdeau, as Eric mentioned, with the three assists in the third period. I feel like they're just, they're about to get going in Calgary. I, I think there's just some time that needed to pass and everybody gets used to not having that number one line in the NHL anymore. When we come back on the Jeff Merrick Show, Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, will join us. What teams have surprised to this point as we approach the Christmas break? What teams have surprised in a good way? What teams have surprised in a bad way? The Lightning lose to the Red Wings last night. I'm sure John Cooper was not thrilled about that. And Roman Yossi becomes the all-time leading scorer for the Nashville Predators. Only one other defenseman has done it. That's Ray Bork. That's all all next when we come back on the Jeff Merrick Show, watching on Sportsnet 360, listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick for today and tomorrow before we go on hiatus for a week. Much needed break. You all need a break from us. It's fine. We understand. A little housekeeping note here. Uh, Near the bottom of the hour, the Toronto audience will be going to Leafs Nation pregame as the Leafs and Flyers set to take on each other at Scotiabank Arena. And we will also be on the alternate stream. So check us out online. And TV, of course, will stay with us. Calgary and Vancouver will also stay with us. Uh, Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, joining me now. Uh, Scotty, how are you today? I'm doing well. About yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so my question that I posed before before we hit the break, as we as we approach this this Christmas freeze here, Christmas break, which team in your estimation has been the biggest surprise and who's been the biggest disappointment so far? Because I can look at either Calgary as the biggest disappointment or Florida. And the biggest surprise for me has to be the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I think those are valid. I think those are valid. Uh, I think Matt, I, I would have to say based upon what I thought would happen this season, preseason prognostications, usually not good for me in this case, once again, not good. <laughs> uh, I expected the Boston Bruins to miss the playoffs and all they've done is gone out and become the best team in the national hockey league. So uh, I, I just figured the deck was stacked against them going in. I think that with the key injuries that they had going in, they were susceptible. They've got a veteran laden crew with that nucleus, not getting any younger. I just thought new coach coming in, although he'd coached before in Jim Montgomery and Dallas, uh, I just thought there was too much for them to overcome, too many obstacles in their way. 
uh, to start this season. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, I had Ottawa being in the playoffs in place of Boston. Certainly Ottawa is going to need in their last 50 games to make a remarkable run if they're going to get to the postseason. But the fact that Boston is number one in the league, the fact that they're 17-0-2 on home ice, uh, outscoring opponents 75-36 to along the way, it is amazing to me what they've done. As far as disappointments go, I think that I would throw, and this would be something that doesn't jump to mind first and foremost for a lot of people, Matt, but I would throw Columbus in there. Yeah. I would throw Columbus in there. And I'm not saying, look, I expected Columbus once Johnny Gaudreau said I'm taking my talents to Ohio. I'm not saying that I fully expected them to be a playoff team, but I at least expected, Matt, that they'd be in the conversation. Uh, They're as far away from a conversation as you can get right now. Uh, And again, there's a lot that's gone into it. Ineffective goaltending, key injuries, namely to their top defenseman, Zach Wierenski, Patrick Laine missing some time this season the way he has. I think Johnny Gaudreau's been solid. He hasn't been spectacular, but I think that some of the reasons that I pointed out as to why that they've been disappointing have added up to Johnny Gaudreau being good, but not necessarily great. So to me, Columbus is disappointing because I I felt really, really happy for that fan base when they unexpectedly got Johnny Gaudreau dropped into their laps in the offseason. And again, I just expected this team to be a lot further up the standings in that playoff conversation than they clearly are right now. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I I thought that they were going to take a step forward just based on the fact that their roster just looked a lot better. But man, mm-hmm. their goaltending has really let them down. Whereas last year, we talked about Elvis Merzlikens for probably half the year as a, as a Vesna candidate. And that, that certainly hasn't been the case. Um, I like that you brought up the Bruins there because I'm, I'm in the same boat. I didn't think that they were going to make the playoffs. And it was largely in part because I thought that they, their injuries were too much to overcome and, and the guys were going to be out mm-hmm. until November and they weren't going to bank enough points in time to get those guys back. And man, Jim Montgomery has them playing a style that I didn't think we thought the Bruins were capable of playing this kind of style, but they are not only dominant and they're rolling teams, but they're fun to watch in the process. Yeah, they really are. And what's most impressive, I think, about the Matt, too, is the fact that Patrice Bergeron, I mean, this guy doesn't get old, and he hasn't gotten old so far. Uh, And I know at this stage of his career, he's kind of going on a year-to-year basis. David Krejci coming back, too, after a year over in his homeland to come back and to be pretty much a point-per-game guy. Now, he's been banged up a little bit, too, but he's been a point-per-game guy, so... He's kind of picking up where he left off as far as the NHL tenure was concerned. And then when you talk about their blue line, I mean, how big has the Hampus Lindholm been for that team, right? Could they have survived the loss of Charlie McAvoy? Uh, Brandon Carlo missing some time. Grizzlick missing some time. Could they have withstood the losses of all those players without Lindholm being a stud on the back end? He's been so good for them. Uh, and until McAvoy got back and walked through those doors, he was the guy that was driving play in all different responsibilities on the ice. So everything's coming up roses for them. Now, let me ask you this, Matt. Did you expect Washington to be in a playoff hunt at this point? Because I looked at Washington in much the same way I did with regards to the Bruins. I said, here's a team. Yeah, they've got the pedigree. They're four years removed now from winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they've got Ovechkin. Yeah, he's trying to chase down Mr. Hockey and eventually Wayne Gretzky. But this is also a veteran-laden crew who, like Boston before them, are going to be starting the season with all kinds of injury concerns. Great news yesterday in the fact that Tom Wilson was out there in a regular practice sweater. So it looks like he's going to be getting close to returning here soon. 
June. They're hoping for maybe January for Nicholas Backstrom. And I don't know that any team in the league has had more man games lost due to injury than the Washington Capitals. And yet there they are. They're back in the playoff chase again. So I guess ultimately what I'm saying is here is we can't underestimate pedigree, reputation, a veteran nucleus, guys who've been there and done that, just to, at the very least, before the guys get back from sick bay, to keep their collective heads above water. Because Boston, obviously the biggest surprise to me. Washington, also surprising to me, just for the reasons we documented. Yeah, I definitely didn't have Washington in the playoffs, let alone a, a, a playoff race. I, I didn't think that they were going to be close. I just I thought the injuries were too much. I thought... That, you know, you talk about an aging roster mm-hmm. um, and and frankly, like, yes, Darcy Kemper was was good for the abs last year. But playing in front of that defense, I think a lot of goalies would be pretty good. Yeah. And that was a question mark that I had. And, and they've been able to manage. And thanks in large part to Charlie Lindgren, who played well in his absence. Uh, uh, Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And and another team that you talk about pedigree, and and they have it in spades, and that's the Tampa Bay Lightning. So John Cooper not happy after the game <laughs> in Toronto the other day, talking about, well, maybe we, maybe note to self, uh, we don't spend three days before the game in Toronto, in Toronto. Um, and then they lose to the Wings last night, uh, uh, the, the Brian Elliott mistake. Like, it was, it wasn't great i know there was two empty net goals but just all around just not a team that you should probably be losing to i know second half of a back-to-back i understand that but if there was ever a team that was in the midst of a uh, midst of a slide and they're just it's just a two-game slide right now but if there was ever a team that you didn't worry about isn't the tampa bay lightning at the top of that list Matt, I'm shocked. Uh, I'm shocked the way that they've played the last couple of games. I know they got off to a good start early on last night in Motown, and then, you know, things kind of fell off the rails from that point forward. But uh, I'm shocked because Tampa Bay came into Toronto at Scotiabank Arena earlier this week. They were rolling. They were in the midst of a winning streak. They had won, what, 8 of 10 before they took the ice against the Leafs. And, okay, it's a big showdown for second spot in the Atlantic. Everybody trying to keep pace with the Boston Bruins and, yeah, I thought that the final scoreline really flattered the Tampa Bay Lightning going back a couple of nights ago. I thought Toronto controlled that game much more than what the final score would have indicated. I mean, it was so close, of course, in the Leafs having the empty net success that they had. But Tampa Bay had eight shots on goal after 40 minutes. I mean, who saw that coming, the way Tampa Bay had been rolling? Here's Steven Stamkos. He's chasing 500. Heck, he might get a hat trick tonight. Maybe he does what Ovechkin did in Chicago, and he'll get to a milestone as well by scoring three goals pretty much coming back to his hometown. So all that didn't happen. And then you expected, to your point, Matt, that they'd go to Motown and they'd be ready to go, which they were apparently until things fell off the rails. And, And they give up seven to Detroit a team that had been struggling themselves, winless in their last six, looking to regain some confidence, looking to somehow, some way, hang around in the Eastern Conference playoff race. Uh, I think the last couple of results for Tampa Bay and the way that they've played, a little bit shocking. Now, did some of that have to do with the fact that they found out yesterday that the game was postponed tomorrow night in Buffalo for obvious reasons with the storm that we're about to encounter here? Maybe, because you know how it works, man. I mean, you get to the holidays, and guys have got one foot on the plane and one foot on the ice, and they're not quite sure that they're committed, and, hey, let's get home and let's see the family and be there for a couple of days and open some presents. I don't know whether that factored into it at all. Uh, It probably shouldn't have because they're a veteran-laden team themselves uh, with a whole lot of this pedigree like we're talking about here. Uh, I'm just surprised that they they, they played as poorly as they did in Toronto first off, uh, and equally as feeble, I think, was the effort last night against the winged wheel. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it was far. It was far from impressive. And I just i i i struggle to try and figure out the lightning in a sense that 
I'm it's like it's like I talk about Tom Brady. I'm just waiting for the wheels to fall off on these guys. And they just manage every single year to, you know, they started out slow this year, much like they started out slow last year, and they end up going to the Stanley Cup finals. Like Steven Stamko said it on 32 Thoughts, uh, the podcast last year going into the year, and it was, we just need to get in because once we get in, we know what we need to do. Is that the same mentality here, especially considering the roster turnover that they've had? I think so. I think so. How many times have we said that over the last couple of seasons, Matt, where we say it doesn't matter where Tampa Bay finishes. They could win the division. They might finish second. They might finish third. Regardless, they're going to be in the playoffs. And then once game 83 rolls around, you'll start to see that team step on the gas. And I think because they've done it that way before for the last three years running, the last three seasons running, uh, I think you could say that. Just get in with an opportunity and then all of a sudden the know-how and the experience and the wisdom and the success from years gone by kind of kicks in too. And, you know, that's what will make it a dangerous opponent for the Leafs uh, should it get to that 2-3 matchup. And again, who knows? I mean, maybe the Leafs go on to win the division. Maybe Tampa Bay responds and goes on to win the division. Uh, regardless, I mean, it, it'll be a tough series for anybody who faces the Tampa Bay Lightning again just because of their experience. And you're thinking, well, they've been here before, to your point, like TB12, right? If playoffs roll around, he's going to win it. And you know where I'm going with that, too, Matt, because you know I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, and you know what the first round of the NFL playoffs looks like from a <laughs> Dallas perspective. You're going back down to Tampa, and you're facing the GOAT once again, and it's nothing I really want to sign up for, but we'll have to see how it plays out, especially given uh, the way that they beat the Cowboys to start the season and such, too. Uh, but, you know, look, I, I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, this is a team, too, and that's why it's so surprising, I think, the way that the Lightning have played the last couple of games, Matt, just because you didn't expect them to play that way. And, again, what the reasons are for it, I'm not really sure. John Cooper, as well, can speculate. All we know is that they're pretty much heading into the holidays with, with, with some question marks, with a bad taste left in their mouth, and they'll pick up next week and, and try to get back up on it and press up more on the Leafs. Uh, wanted to touch on Roman Yossi here. He he ends up getting an assist last night. He's now the leading scorer in Nashville Predators history. And the only other player that has that same honor as a defenseman is Ray Bork. And now I'm not comparing Roman Yossi to Ray Bork. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about a, a defenseman that has, has really, over the last five or six years, has really stepped forward. Because I don't think at the beginning of his career that we quite saw this happening but man, is he such a treat to watch. And I feel like he does get a little bit forgotten because he plays in Nashville, and especially this year because that team has really, really been Jekyll and Hyde, and I can't figure them out. Well, yeah, they've won the last couple, uh, but they were scuffling big time before that. And, you know, to, to go into Chicago and beat the Hawks like they did last night, uh, of course, it's not a huge accomplishment given where Chicago's at uh, and where they're going to be heading here in the next couple of weeks, couple of months for sure. Uh, I look at Yossi, yeah, it's interesting, too, because Gord Stelic and I, during the pandemic, uh, we had plenty of time to kill, like a lot of people out there trying to fill the airwaves with hockey talk and different things, even though, for the most part, we were like four and a half months without hockey at one point. And what we did, Matt, was we went through every NHL team, and we picked an all-time starting lineup. Right, So you picked your, your all-time best centerman, your all-time best left-winger, right-winger defense and goaltender, your all-time head coach and that sort of thing. So we had some fun with it. We got to Nashville, Matt, and i got to tell you, I mean, look, we, we always know uh, that from day one when David Poyle and Barry Trott started to run that operation, it was about defense first. It was about strong goaltending. It was about having a 
deep, deep blue line. We had a hard time coming up with guys up front that were just all-time greats for the Predators because they, they, generally speaking, haven't been a team or a franchise that's scored a lot over the years. It's been based upon defensive play, so we had no problem selecting defensemen. You could argue for a bunch of guys, obviously, with Shea Weber and uh, Ryan Suter and, of course, now Roman Yossi. Uh, but up front, it was difficult. David Legwand was the centerman, I think, that we came up with, and he got passed by Yossi last night by virtue of that multi-point performance that the captain had for Nashville. So uh, I just wonder, too, look, I mean, this guy is great, and he's received some accolades over the years, but can you imagine Roman Yossi playing in a major media market with a hockey-mad fan base and, and, and a media that, that covers the team as in-depth as certainly the Leafs and Canadians and even to a, another extent like the Boston Bruins or the, or the New York Rangers get covered. Uh, this guy's great. He's going to the Hall of Fame someday for a reason, and now all of a sudden he's the Nashville Predators' all-time leading scorer. Maybe we shouldn't be that surprised. You know, I'm looking at their all-time leading scores, and you're right. It is tough. Bit of a drop-off. <laughs> just, just a bit. Like, I mean, David Leguan, you know, great career. He played almost 1,000 games with, with the Nashville Predators, and, and I, anybody would take that career. But, I mean, after that, Philip Forsberg is the next, next highest scorer and then it's Martin Erat. Yeah. It's not yeah. it is certainly it is certainly not murderer's row, Scotty. Um it is very far from murderer's row. Um now I speaking of murderer's row, the Oilers last night looked really good and it didn't and it didn't take performances by Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl to really push them forward and they scored six goals. I mean, I don't think we're talking enough about Ryan Nugent Hopkins' year now. 18 goals, 23 assists, 41 points in 34 games. And, and I had a conversation with Mark Spector last week. Ryan Nugent Hopkins may be the, the sole reason why this team is not looking to go out and get a forward that can put up points because, yes, Evander Kane's going to come back, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins is having a year that they expected from him probably a while ago, but he's really figured it out offensively. Yeah, it's interesting his career too, right? I mean, he's the first overall pick. He comes out of Red Deer with the expectations that usually come with being a top pick. Uh, and he's he's really, really good, but he's never been really, really great. Uh, and, and usually, of course, when you get selected number one overall, everybody thinks that you're really, really great, and that's the way you should be. Unless, of course, you're the Raptors and you just happen to top overall pick when Andrea Bargnani, uh, of course, is the top overall pick. But, again, that's, uh, that's uh, for a different program to sort out. The reality is, though, that he's been really, really effective over the years, Matt. Uh, he's a great secondary option, I think, behind what they've got driving that ship most nights. And it was interesting last night because McDavid, of course, has the one single solitary shot on goal. Well, with outstanding players and game breakers like McDavid, that's all he needed uh, to score his, what, 29th goal of the season to continue to lead uh, the race for the Rocket Richard Trophy. Uh, but look, Nugent Hopkins has had an outstanding career. He's been a guy that's been at an all-star game or two over the years. He's been a guy that's played for Hockey Canada over the years, too. So there is a little bit there, I think, when you look at his career. Again, I would, I would probably identify him as being a guy who's had a really, really good run. Not a great run, but a really, really good one. Uh, and sometimes that's, that's good enough, especially when they're playing for a team like the Edmonton Oilers that have 97 and 29 driving the ship most nights. You're right, Evander Kane's going to come back. The fact that Yamamoto's been healthy now for a while, I think will ultimately help out that team. I think that most people think that the Pooley Yarvey she was going to drop at some point and that he's probably going to need a fresh start uh, with a change of scenery and whether that happens early in January or whether it happens closer to the trade deadline. I think they've kind of, you know, gotten to the point where they've reached that fork in the road uh, with Pooley Arvey. 
Uh, I think ultimately the big question for me is not only goaltending, which is the obvious answer and concern you've got with the Oilers, uh, whether or not Jack Campbell can get it back, whether or not Stuart Skinner can continue to progress. I still think they need another defenseman on the back end, right? Uh, and, and look, you know, say what you will about Duncan Keith and the twilight of his career. He's not going to be a guy that's going to determine at this point exactly how far you'd go, but they've missed him too. And you miss some of that stability back there. So I think uh, at the end of the day, I think Ken Holland is going to have to go out there and shake the tree and, and find a defenseman at some point. I, I, I think that they're going to have more than enough up front to score, uh, especially once Kane gets back and they can balance the lines out a little bit and play McDavid a little less with Dreisaitl and to spread out the offense. I think at the end of the day, though, as I say, Matt, it comes back to defense. And uh, I think that adding a veteran defenseman, preferably in the top four, will certainly help out the goaltenders, even Jack Campbell, to make him look a little bit better. You know, it's funny you mentioned Pooley-Yarvey, and then you look back at that at that draft, the 2016 Ooh. draft, and then you look at, you know, the defenseman that went after him, you know, Mikhail, He So Pooley-Yarvey goes fourth, Sergachev goes nine, oof. Then Charlie McAvoy goes 14th, oof. Jacob Chikrin goes 16th, another oof. I mean, I know it's it's revisionist history, and I get that. But any one of those three guys, I mean, they look good on any team. But on this Oilers yeah. team right now, with the issues that they have and keeping the puck out of their net, I mean, boy, oh boy, that would it. It just it does show you how important it is to hit on those picks because you you know if Yessi Puliyarvi was even remotely near what you would expect from a fourth overall pick, that he would have a little bit more. Uh, of of trade chip value as well. Yeah, I, I think that if memory serves, that was the Austin Matthews, Patrick Lonnie in yep. Buffalo, right? Yep. And and so Matthews goes one, Lonnie goes two. Okay, no big surprise. Now, we had the benefit of being there on the draft floor that night, Matt, and they brought each of the draftees over to us. And once they went through the car wash with TV, uh, with places like Sportsnet, uh, they, they would come over and talk with us. Uh, and we had Patrick Laine, and we were talking with him. We said, Patrick, hold up. We've got to go up to, the, up to the podium to get the announcement from the commissioner. And at number three, you thought, okay, Yarmo Kekalainen, he's got uh, Yessi Pogliarvi dropping into his lap. Uh, he certainly knows him from the home country and such. And it was pretty much a given, I thought, going into it, that he'd go third. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Pierre-Luc Dubois' name gets called by the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I wish I could describe to you in full detail the look on Patrick Lane's face, Matt. I mean, he was shocked. He had to pick his jaw up off the floor because his good buddy and countryman was actually fallen, as it turns out, to Edmonton at number four, to your point, too. Uh, it was remarkable the way it played out that way and, and very much surprising. And I guess when you look back on it now, and clearly there are questions about Pierre-Luc Dubois and whether or not he's in, in Winnipeg for a good time or a long time, I don't think it's going to be necessarily all that long. And in the next year or two, uh, I think we kind of know where that's going to be heading as far as the Jets and Dubois are concerned, who, by the way, has played outstanding hockey the past two or three weeks uh, for the Winnipeg Jets. But, yeah, you're right. That was an interesting draft. And, I mean, we always look to, uh, I think, uh, like drafts and dislike drafts and look back and, you know, what would have been, what could have been, and that sort of thing. You mentioned Chikrin, too, and we know how sought after he is now, uh, falling back the way he did. Uh, as we know, when it comes to the NHL draft, the NHL draft, uh, NFL draft, whatever the case may be, there's always somebody that unexpectedly falls. And for that one particular draft, it was clearly Jacob Chikrin, who was saying all the right things, but you knew deep down he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder entering the National Hockey League. For sure. Uh, we got a couple minutes left here. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Leafs. And, and we talked about surprises and disappointments. And, and I think for me, the Leafs have to be among one of the bigger surprises only because not that the record isn't what we thought it could be, because I, I think we thought that it could be as good as it is. 
I didn't think their team was as good, but you know, it, they're here and it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. I think it's more how they got here and their defensive structure that has really been kind of the focal point for their success. Bingo. That's what's impressed me the most. I think bad about this Leafs team. And, you know, I don't know whether it was losing your top three defensemen and Jordy Ben in limited opportunity had been showing that maybe he looked like the guy that we saw play so well for Dallas for so many seasons. So you're down four defensemen and then all of a sudden, Maybe it was an eye-opening experience for them, and maybe the message got through that this is the way that we've got to play to be effective. And it just seemed like, you know, whether it was Giordano, and boy, has he been a bargain, right? I know it's his hometown and the hometown discount and the contract and so on and so forth, and I'm not saying he's a Norris Trophy-winning defenseman any longer, but at the advanced age that he's at right now, playing as well as he has with all the responsibility in major minutes that he sucked up this season, Giordano has been just a, a, a revelation, I think, in the fact that he's had so much left to give and playing alongside Hall and you know I think it's more than just the, the defensive core though I think it's goaltending obviously which has come in and has been as good as anybody could have hoped I mean even when you're going into the hole and grabbing your third goaltender even Shalgren's had some some competitive starts and some success with the Leafs this season too uh, but for me it just all three or four weeks ago started for this team where there just seemed to be a complete buy-in from a defensive standpoint. And again, it's not just the defense. It's not just the goaltending. It's, it's everybody buying in, you know, to, as we say, you know, getting behind the puck and being down low enough to defend in your own zone and those sorts of things. And again, I don't know whether it was just the injuries they had, and this is the way that they had to play if they were going to have success or whether the message is finally getting through. This much I do know, though, Matt. I mean, if you're a Leafs fan, you're thinking, why couldn't Game 83 be tomorrow night? You yeah. know, why couldn't Game 83 be tomorrow night? Why couldn't the playoffs start on the weekend? Because the way that they're playing right now, you would think, at least, would be conducive to having some sort of playoff success. And that, again, comes with a caveat that if you do face Tampa, you're going to face you-know-what. Uh, if you end up facing Boston, you're going to be facing a, an excellent team with a, a great veteran nucleus as well that won the Stanley Cup uh, not so long ago. Some of those guys are still there anyway. Uh, the reality is, though, that they're playing fantastic defensive hockey, and I think that that, would, that is what basically has served them well here in the past month or so that's made them one of the top teams in the league. For sure. Uh, Scotty, we're fresh up against it here. Uh, thank you, as always, for, for taking a few minutes for me. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you and the family, and uh, we'll chat with you soon, buddy. All right. Anytime, Matt. Thanks very much. There he goes. Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. One of my favorite people out there. Uh, the Toronto audience on Sportsnet 590, the fan will be going to Leafs Nation pre and post. Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet Now will be sticking with us, as will the rest of the stations on the network, 960 and 650 in both Calgary and Vancouver. And uh, you can listen to us if you're listening in Toronto on the alternate feed. Peter Baugh from The Athletic, when we come back to chat some abs, talk to you shortly. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. The last segment of the Jeff Merrick Show today for Thursday, December the 22nd. Thanks for watching on Sportsnet or Sportsnet Now or listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Colorado Avalanche are playing real well right now. And one of the more, I don't want to, I don't want to say surprising stories because they've got the pedigree now that they've they've been really good for a while, but 
the fact that they they're missing Nathan McKinnon and they're missing Gabriel Landeskog and they've they've dealt with injuries aplenty. The fact that they're still rolling like this and maintaining maintaining a, a spot in and around the playoffs despite all of this, pretty impressive. Uh, another another thing that is impressive is our next guest, and that's Peter Baugh from the Athletic and author of Force of Nature, Joe Sackick, a star-studded team, and how the Colorado Avalanche built a Stanley Cup winner. Joining me on the line right now, Peter, how, uh, how are you today? I am well. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm good, and and thank you for for joining us. And you know, I'm I'm watching the game last night, and I see I see Miko Rantanen make the pass on the Arturi Lekkinen goal, and you go. Wow, that that's that's Miko Rantanen to a T, and then Miko Rantanen wins it in overtime, and I just I, I can't help but think that maybe the fact that he plays with with Nathan McKinnon does overshadow the fact that Miko Rantanen is among the ten best forwards in the NHL and doesn't get nearly the amount of credit that he probably should. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a very fair takeaway. I think when you're on a star-studded team, sometimes it's hard to to, I guess, maybe steal the spotlight and he's teammates with Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon, who are two of arguably the five best players in the world. And Mika Rantanen's not too far behind them. I mean, he's been unbelievable this year. I think he's up to, to 40 points and he's actually led the abs in scoring each of the past two seasons. Um, and it's just, he's an excellent passer and he can score in a, a multitude of ways. I, he's up to 20, 21 or 22 goals now. And, right in the thick of the, the scoring race in that regard. So he's he's a really impressive player. He's using his size and physicality at an elite level this year. And he's, uh, yeah, very, quite simply, one of the best players in the league. Now, how, how much of, of, you know, his play being understated is also like, he's he's a very versatile player. He can play on both wings. He can even play in the middle if you need him to. And and he's he's able to go up and down the lineup and be successful wherever he is. He's kind of like I know I know that Jeff has referred to Gabriel Landeskog as a bit of a fixer on this team, but you could probably put Miko Rantanen in that category as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you saw in their Stanley Cup run last year, they they mixed up the wings playing with with Nathan McKinnon on different occasions. Gabe Landeskog would go from the first line to the second line sometimes. Sometimes Rantanen would be on the first line. Sometimes he'd be on the second line. And and that versatility of all those wings was was hugely beneficial to the Avs and was a big reason why they won the Cup uh, was they could kind of throw different lineup combinations at you and, and have two really, really effective offensive lines with while also having good defense from both those lines and the bottom six. So Rantanen is... I think definitely kind of falls into that same category of being a fixer and someone who can, can just go on any line and make it work. And, and he's done that for the abs this year. And that $9.25 million contract. I know, I know there are not a lot of bargains at 9.25 million, but that contract looks really good for a player that continues to produce at such a high level. Um, another player that I, I'm, I'm impressed with how he's fit with the abs is Arturi Lekkonen. And he, the, the abs made the trade last year at the deadline and, and he was a restricted free agent. So there was a, obviously a chance and a good one that they were going to be able to retain him. But that's another player that able to go up and down the lineup. He's been slotted into top six minutes because of the injuries that the team has had. But I, I give Jared Bednar a lot of credit here because he's been used in a way that he wasn't in Montreal and he's really been able to flourish. And, and last night was a prime example playing in that bumper spot on the power play and then notching the first goal for the Avs. Totally. I think there's there's a really special type of player that maybe they're not as 
as super skilled or elite as, as the top guys, but they're, they're good enough to play with those guys and to make themselves valuable. You look at like Palat on Tampa the last two years, how important it was to have, have kind of that workhorse on, on the top line with, with their big guns and, and Lekkonen kind of fills a similar role. He's a great puck retriever. Um, he scores big goals um, and, and he's a good offensive player with a great, great motor and good forechecking. So I, I think that the Avs kind of realized that. And I mean, this is a guy who, when the Avs won the Stanley Cup in game six last year against Tampa Bay, Lekkonen was playing on the top line and scored the game winning goal to put him up 2 1. So he's definitely, uh, um, I don't know if he's elite skill wise, but he's a, a perfect fit for this team and, and was well worth the second round pick and the prospect in Justin Barron that, that the Avs gave up to. Montreal to get the deal done. Now, as I mentioned, Jared Bednar there and talking about lineup decisions, not that everything that he touches turns to gold because there have been some instances where, you know, sometimes things just don't work and that's fine. But for the most part, especially over the course of the last two years, like I know it's easy to slot Nathan McKinnon into a spot and Landis Gog when he's healthy, but you know, playing JT Comfer in in expanded minutes because Nathan McKinnon's been out has has worked out. Moving Arturi Lekkinen up into the top six, even even the way that he's used Evan Rodriguez over stretches has been really good. I, I know that it's we don't we usually we don't talk about uh, a Stanley Cup winning coach coming into this year as a Jack Adams Trophy candidate, but. I mean, Jared Bednar has had to deal with his fair share of injuries, especially up front. And this team just continues to roll, not not at a, a perfect clip, but they're still among a, a playoff teams and, and able to withstand all these injuries. Do we talk about Jared Bednar enough as a as a potential coach of the year candidate? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it like you said, it's hard for this is any coach that coaches the Avalanche coming off a of Stanley Cup is going to have a tough time uh, winning winning the Jack Adams, but I think that you could look at Jared Bednar and make a compelling case just based on the injuries this team has had. I would guess the the Jack Adams will go to a coach that I guess whose team maybe wasn't expected to make the playoffs and did or wasn't expected to be a high seed and, and was, but I, I think Jared Bednar deserves to have voters consideration for sure. I think that the way he's handled these injuries, the way he's kind of gotten the team to buy into this defensive identity because the thing right now is they're not scoring at a very at a very high rate they're not a lot of their really good offensive players are out um so they've kind of really had to buy into the checking game and to to keeping opponents from scoring and they've they've done that and he deserves a lot of credit for both his systems and i guess his ability to get players to buy into that and that's a reason why the abs had a really good homestand just now and why they've been able to, to kind of weather the storm of these injuries. How much do you put on that on the goaltending as well? Just been able to, again, withstand and, and maintain a playoff spot um, because I, I'm not going to lie. I was very skeptical of the tandem of Gorgiev and Francois coming into this season, but Gorgiev has been way better than I had expected. Has this tandem exceeded your expectations or do you think they're right around where you thought they would be at this point in the year? Yeah, I mean, I would say they've exceeded expectations. I think you kind of knew what Pavel Francouz was going into the year. He's a good 1B or second goalie who who just kind of like uh, will give you good games. Maybe there will be a clunker here or there, but who's, who's a good goalie and who can step in when needed, as we saw in the playoffs last year, and, and give you a good showing. 
Um, I did not realize how well Alexander Georgiev would fit from the jump. I think that the most impressive thing is just how he's done this, I guess, all early in the season. Whereas if you look at Darcy Kemper last year, Philip Grubauer, when he first got to Colorado, it takes time a lot of times for goalies to get settled. He's kind of come in and had a pretty seamless transition. There were, there were a couple weeks there, a, a few weeks ago, where he wasn't playing at his best, and um, the Avs were that was kind of at the peak of their injuries, so they weren't they were surrendering a lot of scoring chances and all that. But but I think that both at the beginning of the year and in the last few games, he's he's been excellent and um, has been a large part of the Avs' success and deserves a lot of credit. Peter Baugh from The Athletic joining Matt Marchese here on The Jeff Merrick Show. And and how much of that, like I, I had this conversation earlier with Eric Francis about just, you know, elite goalies. There's not very many of them in the league anymore. And, and that's why in a lot of cases, teams are going to tandems. And maybe the Avs were kind of the, maybe not the poster boy, but listen, Darcy Kemper was not the reason why they won the Stanley Cup. We've seen teams that have, have had, you know, a slightly above average goaltending that win the cups and you don't necessarily need an elite goaltender. Colorado is not really in a position to pay an elite goaltender. And, and is this part of the MO and, and will be going forward as long as they deploy players like Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and Miko Rantanen at high salaries. Yeah. I mean, I think that they saw this past off season, they could have resigned uh, Darcy Kemper to the contract that, that Washington got him for. And Kemper was really good in Colorado. He was, a borderline elite goalie in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, he, he had his eye injury for in the national series where he, he couldn't track the puck very well for a few rounds. So definitely I, I think um, that impacted his play, but it also showed the avalanche that when they're playing at their best, they don't necessarily need elite goaltending to win because of the way they possess the puck and the, the limited chances that they allow. So I think that the, uh, the they maybe saw that, that they didn't need, the to oh, like pay a huge salary for goaltending so they saved about two million dollars against the cap and got Georgiev for the next few years and um and I think if he's able to be an above average goalie they're going to be in good shape because of the the core of skaters that they have on their team uh I I don't and this is going to sound uh, like a weird conversation, but Kale McCarr is having an off year offensively. And I, I will preface that by saying there are about a hundred defensemen who would love to have Kale McCarr's off year as part of, as part of their resume. But offensively, he's at, I believe 29 points in 31 games, which I still shudder to think that that's a bad year for him. But um, what have you made of his play so far? Because we're not seeing the gaudy offensive numbers, but he's still able to be a, a great puck mover. He's still able to be a, a very good defender when he doesn't have the puck. Is it just, you know, looking at the offensive talent that they're missing and, and maybe a, as part of it, you know, he gets a lot of his cookies on the power play. Is that just it with Kale McCarr? Or is there something else here? Yeah. Well, five on five scoring has, has not been the ab strength this year. They've, they've kind of struggled to score at five on five. And so I think that, that's maybe where you see some of that dip in, in McCarr's numbers is they've been so power play reliant and haven't gotten as much at even strength. He's still been an excellent player this year. I think he's leading the league in ice time per game. He's averaging like 27, 28 minutes a game, uh, just carrying an absolute load back there, especially because with some of these injuries, they're often chasing leads um, or in tight games. And Bednar likes to rely on the guys he can trust the most in, in those times, which is, often McCarr caves that level of player. So 
he's racking up a ton of ice time. Um, he's still scoring on on the power play a lot. He's I think has seven goals, which is a respectable total. And my guess is he's got an offensive heater in him at some point this year that'll uh, I think even elevate some of some of those point totals. So maybe it's not the the Norris winning season of last year. Um, but I also think we're maybe seeing kind of some of the effects of a really long season last year, a short summer, and then having to play a lot of minutes this year. I think there have been a couple times where he skated gingerly off the ice on plays and stuff like that, and I don't think he's hurt by any means, but I think hockey's a, a physical sport that, that takes a toll. Um, so, so I think some of that probably factors into this a little bit, but he's still playing at an elite level, even if not the, I guess, maybe – insane level that we saw at points last year. I don't think there's any reason for concern, and I'm sure he, he still will have a few more Norris Trophy seasons in him before his career is done, and who knows, maybe even I think he's a hot stretch away from getting back in that race this year. He's still, I think, kind of on the periphery of of that that race he's had a good year it just hasn't been maybe as as gaudy number wise well and and how much of it too is you know again with the with some of the offensive stars being out just how how teams defend him when those guys aren't on the ice at the same time as him because you know people people tend to defend Connor mcdavid a little bit differently than they they defend yesi pulley especially especially you know when when Connor mcdavid's not on the ice um is there some of that in there as well or is it just like you said it just he's just a streak away from being in the conversation and being a point of game player again. Yeah, totally. Well, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a mix. And it's also, I mean, Nathan McKinnon's been out. Nathan McKinnon scores a lot and assists a lot. And McCarr's usually on the ice with, with McKinnon. So if he's, if he's out there with McKinnon, he's going to have more points and he hasn't been out there with McKinnon or Landis Gog, um, or say Nazem Kadri, who was in Colorado last year and had a career year. Um, so Makar obviously plays a part in those guys getting great chances, but they all, the Avs also haven't had kind of the same guys to finish some of those chances that he's created. And then, like you said, with McKinnon out, especially on the power play, you really see his absence. I think uh, they had, they're, they're still up high in the power play rankings in the league, but they had a 17 game stretch where they didn't score on the power or 17 power play stretch uh, where they didn't score on 17 consecutive power plays. Um, and a lot of that was because guys can cheat towards Makar and Rantanen because you don't have that the threat of McKinnon on the one flank. How much how much do you think that the loss of Nazem Kadri has affected this team as well? Just with that five on five scoring that you had talked about, because not that he's he's certainly not having the same year in Calgary as he did last year in Colorado, but you know, there are not a lot of number two centers that are better than Nazem Kadri, and that, and that does feel like it's been a pretty big loss, and it's not something that's easy to overcome, which leads us to, you know, are they going to be one of the teams that maybe inquires about a guy like Bo Horvat? Yeah, I mean, I think they miss having that presence on the second line, for sure. This is not, especially in its current iteration, this is not as deep a team as, as you saw last year. Um but, I mean, I think when, when the team is healthy with Landis Gaga McKinnon in the lineup, you've still got five legitimate, really good top six forwards, plus a guy like Evan Rodriguez who can, who can fill into, into that role. I could totally see them being involved in, in the sweepstakes for a, a big-name uh, forward at the deadline. I think you saw that last year with Claude Giroux, that they were kind of willing to – obviously Giroux wanted to go to Florida and it didn't work out, but – 
but they were they were looking to make a significant upgrade and this isn't a team that's afraid to i guess put themselves out there and and deal a big piece to to get a big piece back um so we'll see kind of which route they choose to go but i think a center definitely would make sense um if if that proves too costly maybe they could get a wing and and kind of try and roll with a second line of i don't know landeskog rodriguez nachushkin and then get a a good wing to kind of solidify that third line um they they've got some some options of what they want to do but i i expect them to be aggressive because they're in a cup window and and you don't know how often those come around and you got to make the most of them while you can um, okay, so you, you spoke to Eric, speaking of Cup, and this guy, a, a Cup was a long time coming for him. Uh, you spoke to Eric Johnson about playing after this season. And what was your main takeaway from that conversation? And, and do you think this is a, a situation that the Avs would like him back at a certain number as well? Oh, I'm, I'm sure they would. I, I think Eric Johnson's proven to be a, a really good player for the Avs for a long time. I mean, obviously, I think there are high expectations whenever you're the number one overall pick. But I think since coming to Denver, he's kind of had a, a pretty consistently big role and has has filled it well. Um, my my takeaways from that were just that I, I was curious kind of about where his headspace was at after this year. I think there's been some speculation. There's speculation about if he'd retire after the Cup last year. But, I mean, he told me going into the Cup, he's like, I want to keep playing no matter what happens. Like, he, he was really loving playing the game. And I think he's still at that point where now that he's been healthy and he's he hasn't gotten hurt, which injuries have really kind of derailed some of his recent seasons I think he just wants to keep playing as long as he feels good he wants that to be in Colorado um, there haven't been extension talks yet but um, but I think he's he said I think he described himself as like hopeful that it would would work out and I think if the salary cap I, I mean the salary cap might limit how much the avalanche can offer him contract wise but I I would imagine they would want him back given how he's he's played this year Okay, now the now the question: How close are we seeing to uh, are, are are we seeing, or how close? Anyway, I'm I'm fumbling over my words here. How close are we to seeing the Avs being at full strength here? Um, Landis, Gog, McKinnon, Nachushkin, Byram, Manson. Like, I mean, that's a really good team that's not playing for you. Are they getting any closer to getting any healthier here? Yeah, I think they're getting there. I mean, it's. You've seen the return of Lackanen missed some time. Rodriguez missed some time. Ratushkin missed some time. All those guys are back. Um, currently, you're missing some depth forwards in Cogliano and Darren Helm. Cogliano should be back. It seems like not too long after the holidays. Helm's been skating. It's kind of unclear exactly how long he's out. McKinnon should be back shortly after the holidays. He's resumed skating. Um, Landeskog, I think you're looking probably at like January, February. Um Manson is is a couple weeks away, so I, I think within the next few weeks you're going to start to see a little more of a, a full team. I don't know if it's going to be fully healthy at at any point, just because you can't predict injuries and and Byram's dealing with a lower body thing that's that's kept him out longer than than maybe it initially appeared. So um, I think it's it's something to monitor, but I don't think they're terribly far out from having a albeit maybe not a fully healthy team, but a pretty complete roster that can, can win a lot of hockey games. And despite all these injuries, the Colorado Avalanche are still playing really well. And I believe they're five, two and one in their last eight since Nathan McKinnon has been out of the lineup. So uh, sm- uh, hopefully smooth sailing. Cause 
as we know, um, the Colorado Avalanche are one of the most fun teams to watch in the league, especially at full strength. Peter, uh, continued success covering the team, continued success with the book, and uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you and yours, and uh, we'll chat with you after the break. Thank you. Yeah, I I appreciate you having me, and yeah, if anyone's looking for a Christmas gift, you can find the the book on Amazon or Chapters or or wherever, wherever you find books. Yes, and absolutely. Go out and get it. That is Force of Nature, Joe Sackick, a star-studded team, and how the Colorado Avalanche built a Stanley Cup winner. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. There he goes. Peter Baugh from The Athletic and the aforementioned Force of Nature, Joe Sackick, a star-studded team, and how the Colorado Avalanche built a Stanley Cup winner. Just a few minutes left in the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese here, and uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and Philadelphia Flyers will tangle in about nine and a half minutes time. That one you can listen to on Sportsnet 590, the fan or watch on Sportsnet Ontario, uh, the Carolina hurricanes and Pittsburgh Penguins tonight on Sportsnet. Evgeny Malkin could move past Sergei Fedorov into sole possession of second place among Russian born skaters in the points category as well on the network tonight. We have the Seattle Kraken at the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet Pacific that at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. And we also have the Calgary Flames at the L.A. Kings on Sportsnet West. That one goes at 8.30 Mountain Time, uh, 10.30 p.m. Eastern. And, you know, we mentioned the Flames. Milan Lucic again last night after not scoring in literally forever gets on the board again and, and made a nice pass on Nazem Kadri's goal as well. And, you know, the conversation about Jacob Markstrom there and how we talk about elite goalies and how very few there are. And it just goes to show you the volatility of the position when, you know, like, like Eric Francis mentioned, the two best goalies in the league last year, Igor Shesterkin and Jacob Markstrom had really struggled at the beginning of this season. And part of it is that's just the way that the game works. Part of it is, I hate to be that guy, but goaltending is a really hard position to predict year over year. And it's a hard position to play for those that I do love the narrative of, well, I I could score on on an NHL goalie. Yeah. Good luck. NHL players sometimes have a hard time scoring on NHL goaltenders. I don't think that you're going to be at or near the top of that list to score on goalies, but with the way that the game is played with how many power plays team gets with, with how good offensively players have gotten roster makeups. And we've talked about this on the show and the increase in offense throughout the league and how no lead is safe. No lead is also safe because there aren't that many goaltenders that you can count on to just shut the door when the third period comes around. It's the way that the game has gone. And as someone who loves watching goals and as someone who has had his fair share of struggles watching some goaltenders, this is a very welcome site. Lots of goals. I like it. It also is showing that teams can't pay goaltenders a ton of money because it's, it's not only the play, but also the chance of injury with some of these guys because of, you know, Jeff has mentioned it, the, the issues with the skates and how that relates to ankle and knee problems, which last time I checked for a goalie is a bit of an issue. But curious to see what happens with Jacob Markstrom going forward because I have an inkling that Jacob Markstrom is getting out of this little funk and that Jacob Markstrom is going to be playing at a high level once again. As we've seen with Igor Shosturkin, a couple of good starts, especially the one against the Leafs last week, was really, really impressive. 
Uh, thank you for everybody that jumped on the show today, including Elliot Freeman, who joins us every time at 12.05 Eastern, unless he's got something better to do. Eric Francis from Sportsnet, Scott Lachlan from the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, and Peter Baugh from The Athletic. I'm Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick. I will be back tomorrow on the Jeff Merrick Show. Leafs and Flyers next on Sportsnet 590. The fan for everybody else on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thank you very much for listening and watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.